If you have your Bible this morning, we're going to be in the book of Romans, chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. I will confess that I'm going to cheat here just a little bit. Uh, but here's how I'm going to cheat. I'm going to skip a few verses. Um, go down. We're going to start in verse 12. And then next week, we're going to come back and pick up the verses that we skipped. So I just wanted you to know I'm, I'm, I'm reading ahead just a little bit. And we've called this series The Heart of the Gospel. Uh, today we're going to finish out Romans chapter 5. And then, as I said, next week go back, uh, pick up those few verses that we missed. Um, here, here's the great thing uh, that you and I need to wrap our minds around. And, and um, the thing that if we could boil it down to um, a, a statement, it would go something like this. Through Jesus, God has done for us what we never could have done for ourselves. Through Jesus, God has done for us what we never could have done for ourselves. That's the heart of the gospel. That's the heart of the gospel right there. There's no way we could have ever accomplished um, or, or earned or merited or uh, achieved in some way anything that Jesus has done for us. So uh, that's, that's, that's what we've been working, uh, that, that's the thought that we've been working around. So here we are in Romans chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the sides of the tech booth back there. Feel free to go grab one of those. If you have one of those Bibles in particular, we're on page 942. In Romans 5 verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Now let's just pause right there, uh, because what we're going to do is take some really, really bad news and talk about that first, and then we get to transition to talk about some really, really good news, okay? So um, verse 12 is a key verse, and um, it he outlays some, some other stuff in the next couple of verses that we'll get to here in just a second. But I don't want to miss what verse 12 is saying because it introduces us to what you and I probably should call not just bad news, but terrible news. And it goes something like this. <clears throat> Through one man, sin entered the world and death, death too. Okay, so who was our one man? Who was our one guy? Adam. Back in the Garden of Eden, uh, the, the, the picture that Paul has us call to mind here is Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. Serpent comes up, um, tempts Eve. Eve takes of the forbidden fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and then not only protects herself but also gives to her husband who is passively sitting there with her. He didn't stomp the snake. He didn't get out of hoe like I would do. He didn't even run screaming like I might be prone to do. He instead just took the, 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 the fruit of the, the forbidden fruit uh, from Eve and said, okay. And so what happened, Paul says, they as our, our representative parents, they um, as our, our forefathers, if you will, in the human race, what happened was through one man, sin came into the world. And some people say, well, I mean, but didn't Satan sin? Yes, Satan sinned, but it wasn't in our realm, okay? We as specific image bearers of God, we are created in the image of God, very unique, um, through one man, sin came into the world. And as a result of sin coming into the world, the result of sin is always the same. And what is that? What is it? Say it real loud. It's death. Now, this is a pastoral application that you need to hold on to. So if you're flirting with it, guess what you're flirting with? Death. Death. Whenever sin comes into the scene, the, the book of James says sin, when it's fully grown up, it brings forth death. That's what it always does. Through one man, sin came into the world, and, and so came death also. The wages of our sin is death, and what kind of death are we talking about? Well, uh, we're talking about 
we're talking about death, and I'm not sure these should be separated, but if you needed to categorize it, um, in Genesis chapter 3, the blessing of God turns to the cursing of God, right? God speaks to Adam, and he says, hey, cursed are you because of this, this, and this, and he explains what that means. And furthermore, Adam knew this long before even God showed up on the scene, because what was his immediate reaction after he had sinned? He went and did what? He hid himself. There was a spiritual death, a spiritual disconnect, a spiritual distance that he put uh, by his sin and his rebellion, he put between um, himself and God. But, but, I mean, that's not all. It, it is spiritual death, but also in Genesis chapter 5, uh, the Bible's very clear. Adam died. His physical body quit working. So through one man came sin and death through sin. And again, I'm not so sure we should separate those two but we know that death came into the world. Now, that would be bad enough, except it doesn't stop there. Um, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and then what's it say? So death spread to how many? All of us. So death spread to all of us because all of us have sinned. Death spread to all men because all have sinned. So it was kind of infectious in some way. There was a, a process by which, because he is our, um, our representative, our first forefather, um, all, of us, uh, all of us participated in that. Some people read this as, uh, the end of verse 12 here, some people read this as, because all sin. See, um, death is in the world because we've all sinned. Now, listen, we're not just imitating Adam, although we do. Everybody rebels. Everybody walks away from God. Everybody um, uh, is actively um, sinning against God in their thought, in their word, in their attitude, in their action. Uh, but this particular passage is not talking about that. That is, this particular passage is talking about what um, uh, many theologians have called uh, original sin or inherited sin. And original sin or inherited sin goes something like this, that in a very real and a very important way, we were present with Adam when he rebelled against God. In a very real and very important way, we were present with Adam. That sounds kind of creepy and... I, as our first forefather, he was the representative for all of us, and all of us came from him in some way, and so um, we were kind of there with him. Now, there are two parts to this. There are two parts to this whole idea of inherited sin, uh, and so I want to talk about these two parts, and it goes something like this. The first part is inherited corruption. Uh, through, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men uh, because we all participated in Adam's sin. It wasn't just that we were present, we were also participating. So inherited corruption goes something like this. In our natural state, we are spiritually bankrupt. There is no method, no path forward, no um, remedy um, that we can come up with that will get us out of the spiritual condition that we are in. We have an inherited corruption. There's something broken in us, something bent in us, and our bent, our, our um, inclination, and even our pattern is turning away from God instead of to God. We turn away from God, and we, and we live with this lie that somehow, some way, sin is going to prove more uh, to be more satisfying than Jesus. That is our inherited corruption. And it is, it is a corruption that is profound, it is widespread, and it is radical. What does that mean? Meaning, from the very roots upward, we, we are corrupt. Well, does that mean I'm as bad as I could ever be? No, 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 that doesn't mean that. 
It doesn't mean that, um, that I'm as bad a person as I could be. There are social pressures and relationships and circumstances that don't allow me to, to be that. That's true. But it doesn't, it, here's what it does mean. It, it does mean that from the very core, outward, every part of my life has been touched by this corruption. And therefore, I am spiritually bankrupt and unable to repay or reclaim any sort of balance or, or even the, 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 the um, score here with God. There is a debt that is owed, and I am completely unable to pay. I have an inability to pay. And people say, and this is, I, I get it, it's not fair <laughs> that that's the case. Why, why should I be born broken? Uh, just, it's not fair. Here's a phrase that I've used with my kids, and I want to introduce it um, to you uh, and just see if this is helpful. Uh, just because it's not fair doesn't mean that it's not true. So I, when we talk about it, inherited corruption spiritually, just because it's, you don't feel like it's fair doesn't mean that it's not true. This, this is our state before God, spiritually bankrupt by nature. Here's the thing though, we accept this in other areas of our lives. And so I want to try to paint this picture so that you go, oh yeah, okay, okay, okay. All right. Um, we accept this in other areas of our lives. And one of the areas uh, that we accept this in, uh, it, let me just give you this example. Um, I owe um, a, a debt to my maternal grandfather, my paternal grandfather, and my dad. You know why? Because they blessed me genetically with this thing called male pattern baldness. And so my forehead is slowly and steadily growing to a number larger than four, right? It's no forehead. It's going to be something much larger soon. See what I did there? See what I did? Yeah, huh? You like that. So I have a built-in yarmulke right on top, right up here. It's been steadily growing. Now, I could. why is that the case for me? Because both of my grandparents and my dad, same deal, same issue, right? And so I could fuss, I could fume, I could stomp around. It's not fair. It's not fair. It doesn't have to be fair in, in, in order to be true, though. This is, this is a part of my makeup. So the response and the appropriate response is simply to understand it and to accept it and then figure out what I'm going to do about it. Because I could Rogaine it up, you know, spend a jillion and a half dollars on Rogaine or get as, <laughs> this is, 830 didn't get this story. This is a true story though. Uh, uh, a pastor that I worked for who shall remain nameless looked at me one day and said, hey, you know, when you start getting a little thinner, I got a guy, he'll do some implants for you. I don't even know what to say. Thank you. I don't even know what to say. He was going to make sure. He had a guy, though. He had a guy. Um, that's, that was odd enough in and of itself. So, um, you know, I, I, have to, I, I could be angry about it, or I could accept it and then figure out what to do. Either I apply something, or I apply the razor and just do like some of you have done and just, you know, just bald. That's, that's, you know, bald is beautiful. It's going to be great. And that's probably the direction that I'm going to go at some point. You walk in one Sunday and be like, hey, did you get a haircut? No. Mm -mm. I just lost it all. Um, and you may say, now spiritually, though, that doesn't seem right. Okay, physically I understand. I, every analogy breaks down at some point. I'm simply trying to say this, that we accept this in other areas of our lives, that this is our lot. This is our situation. 
So in this particular case, it is what the Bible teaches. And you may say, well, I don't, I'm not sure. I, I, I want that to be true. Doesn't mean it's not true. Well, I don't think that's fair. Doesn't mean it's not true. Over and over again, we can look in passages in the Scripture. This is just one of them where we are inherently corrupt. It is inherited a part of our nature that is in our natural state. We are spiritually bankrupt. And just about the time that you kind of get settled on that and take that in and chew on it a little bit um, is this next part, because inherited sin, as I said, has two parts. It's not just the corruption. Because we were present in some real and important way when Adam rebelled against God, we not only got the corruption uh, that he took on, but we also incurred the guilt that he took on. So we not only have inherited corruption, but we also have inherited guilt. And when you're at this point, people really start getting squirrely. But here's the thing, that in our natural state, we are condemned by God. We fell out of the womb, condemned by God. And here's what I mean by this. Uh, if you have your Bible, a few pages to the right, uh, just th- this is one place where we could, uh, where we could turn to, to show you this is true. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. <clears throat> Ephesians 2, verse 1. And you were dead, not, not bad, folks. You were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and then don't miss this part, and were by nature, not by action, not by choice. We were how? By nature. Children of what? Wrath. In other words, we, were in, we had already incurred the, the condemnation that was ours. Inherited sin means not only are we corrupt and spiritually bankrupt before God, but also in our natural state that we, are, we stand opposed to God and under judgment and condemnation. And people say at this point, now this is really not fair. Like I just got on board with the spiritual corruption part, the the inherited corruption part. Now you're saying I'm also um, inherently guilty. I've inherited this from Adam. And they say something like, I'm being punished for another person's choice. I wasn't there. This is Adam's fault. On and on and on and on. But because we were there in some meaningful way, um, in some real and important way, um, we were a part of that rebellion. And thus not only inherited his corruption, but also his guilt. But I didn't do it. Adam did. Again, we accept this in other areas of life. And I'll give you a brief example. Uh, If you've walked down beside my office, uh, you notice outside of my office door, there are a set of brackets because it's March. And it, well, it was March when we put those up. It's March Madness, right? And we put up the brackets, and some of you were brave enough to turn them in. Some of you are cowards and, you know, didn't want to go down uh, in, you know, flames to the other people who picked way better than you. I get that and have that all publicly displayed. That's fine. Um, Right now, uh, my little brother is beating me, and I'm not bitter about that, but okay. Uh, So uh, in, in, last weekend was a bad weekend for me. Uh, my, my Baylor women's lady bears went down in the Elite Eight uh, to Mississippi State. Um, and then in the Sweet 16, uh, my Baylor bears also went down. Now, after my Baylor bears, listen, I'm a fan, right? I mean, I'm a fan. My, after my Baylor bears um, took it on the chin, 
people started texting me. Now, I want you to know, I'm no Fairweather fan. You see, I wore the shirt today. See that right there? I even, I wanted you to know how not a Fairweather fan I was. I even brought another shirt that I'm going to wear for the rest of the sermon, just so that you know. I'm no Fairweather fan here. I'm in all the way. And you people who texted me, who shall remain nameless, I won't call you out, some of you deacons, that we're going to have <laughs> difficult conversations later about. You said, what happened to your team? What happened to your Bears? Why did your team lose? Why, you know, boy, they got, your Bears got stopped. And on and on and on. I mean, text messages on my phone. I still have them. I'll be bringing them back up at a later point. Don't you worry. My response could have been, I wasn't there. I wasn't in the building. I didn't coach. I didn't play. I didn't shoot a shot. I didn't shoot a free throw. I didn't have an assist. I didn't get a rebound. I didn't play any defense. I wasn't on the bench. I didn't wear the uniform. I wasn't there. I wasn't in the locker room before or afterwards. I didn't give the pregame speech. I wasn't there making the X's and O changes at halftime. I wasn't the chaplain for the team that tried to inspire them. I wasn't. What are you saying? My team, my bears. I could have gone that way, but the truth of the matter is what? They're my team. And in some real and important sense, they lost, and I also lost. So much so that my wife looked at me and said, hey, you okay? Why did I feel the emotion of that loss? I mean, all the stuff that goes with it, right? All the emotion of, uh, and frustration and whatever, all the social media stuff, responding to your text messages with grace instead of, you know, judgment on you people who were giving me the grief over this. Like, why, why is that the case? Because in some real and important sense, it's my team. I lost when they lost. See, we accept this in some areas of life, spiritually speaking, also, when Adam lost, guess what? We all lost. This is what it means for inherited sin. We not only have inherited corruption in our natural state, therefore we are spiritually bankrupt, but also inherited guilt that we are uh, um, by nature, children of wrath, condemned by God. And for those who say, well, I wasn't there, I wasn't there, Paul gives a test case here. Look at verse 13. Uh, for sin was indeed in the world before the law was given. In other words, from Adam to Moses, there was no law, right? God hadn't written the Ten Commandments down or anything like that. Um, but sin was still in the world. And then he, he qualifies at the end of verse 13 for all the Jewish people reading, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Now what does that mean? Meaning that if they didn't have the law, uh, I didn't know, I didn't know, uh, uh, it wasn't a specific kind of transgression. It wasn't a specific breaking of that law. Uh, verse 14, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. So even though the people didn't have the law, what happened? They still faced death. Why did they face death? Because they still sinned. 
Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, a breaking of a specific commandment. And Adam was the type of the one to come. So here's the deal. Sin was in the world before the law, um, but even though it wasn't counted as specific law breaking, and death was in the world before the law because of sin, even though it wasn't law breaking kind of sin. So over and over and over we could see this. And there are multiple passages here. This is just one place. There's an inherited sin. And corruption comes along with that, and guilt comes along with that. And just as, just as that sin was kind of imputed to us, um, of those of us who were in Adam, which is all of us, so also God is going to use that kind of imputation in a different way, in a similar way, not the same, but similar way, uh, to, to, to change people's lives. Now, that's terrible news, folks. Like if you came to church looking for an uppity sermon, that's horrible, isn't it? Oh. Paul, though, turns a corner in verse 15. And it's a little bit like we were down at Galveston yesterday for a wedding rehearsal, um, and the wind was howling. I mean, like, full on. And you looked out at the gulf, man, and it was just wave, wave, wave. And in the same way, Paul, when he turns the corner here, he quits talking about terrible news. And he starts talking about terrific news. And as he does so, listen, it starts just wave, wave. Let's start in verse 15. Um, <clears throat> here we go. Ready? Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. So the, the natures are very different. Verse, uh, continue on. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by that grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So where does the terrific news start? The terrific news starts here. That Jesus, we're going to say this when we dismiss here a little bit, the, the, the blessing that we send people out is that Jesus reigns over how much? Over everything. That's exactly right. And here is where uh, one of the places where we see that, one of the many places in Scripture, um, because we had trespass, we had transgression, we had sin, but instead of, of, of guilt and death, the gift of grace overcomes guilt and death. Now, folks, that's terrific news for you and for me. The gift of grace overcomes guilt and death. Why? Because guilt and death is where we were. But the gift of grace, according to verse 15, um, that, that wave washes up on the shore of our lives, and we're like, yeah, that's starting to feel like something good. Let's continue on, verse 16. And the free gift, so not only is the nature different, but the result is different. Look what happens, verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So just to be clear, um, one trespass led to condemnation. So you would expect many trespasses to lead to a whole lot of condemnation. Isn't that, what that, isn't that what you would think? If one trespass led to it, boy, if you pile it up and pile it up and pile it up, what do you expect? You expect a lot more than that. But instead, justification overcomes condemnation. How, how, how much? Well, one trespass brought condemnation, but after many trespasses, the gift, uh, the, this free gift of grace, he says, brought justification for you and me. In other words, you and I are made right with a righteous God. Even though we've sinned, even though we've messed up, even though, even though we've struggled, even though we've been tempted, even though we've, we've faced the things, even though we've bought the lie that satisfaction is found outside of Jesus. What? What do we see? Even though we've done that, we are made right with the righteous God. How? 
through faith in Jesus. So the free gift is not um, uh, like the result of that one man's sin. You had one man's sin bring condemnation, but man, Jesus brings justification through this free gift. Even after many trespasses, justification overcomes condemnation. Now it just keeps getting better from there. Verse 17, for if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So we've got um, the gift of grace overcoming um, uh, guilt and death. We've got justification overcoming condemnation. And now the reign of Jesus is overcoming the reign of death. Because um, sin was in the world, um, death was in the world, and it had full domain. It had full reign. And then Jesus bursts on the scene. He's like, no, 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 no. This is not how this world is going to operate from this point forward. Instead, I'm going to not only die and conquer death by death, but I'm going to rise, and, and uh, it, it will forever now no longer hold sway over my people. This is good news for you and for me. Now the reign of Jesus um, overcomes the reign of death. That's what he says in verse 17. Death reigned through that one man. But much more, those who will receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. Now, make, make sure you're clear. Who reigns in life with Jesus? Only those who receive him into their lives, right? Not everybody, just those who receive him, who receive him into their life. And not only do we get to experience the benevolent reign of Jesus in our life, but what does it say? We also get to reign with him. We reign in life. When is that life happening? Right this second. We get to reign right now and experience the kingdom coming, not only in our lives, but in the lives of those around us. The reign of Jesus overcomes the reign of death. Now, verse 18, it just keeps getting better. This is wave upon wave upon wave. Verse 18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. Verse 19, for as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So you had Adam who messed it up and he broke the world for all of us. And Jesus stepped in with one act of righteousness, he says, and that leads to justification. So disobedience, obedience. Who wins in that moment? Obedience does. The obedience of Jesus overcomes disobedience. Jesus, when he came to the earth, he lived a perfect life. Everything that the Father wanted him to do, everything that uh, uh, was, was planned, everything that was right to do, Jesus did. And because he did, um, his obedience then, directed toward God, uh, for God, if you will, um, God received that as an offering so that when he went to the cross and died in our place, he was the perfect sacrifice, not some great sacrifice, not a kind of, uh, you know, B-plus sacrifice. He was the perfect sacrifice for sin. Furthermore, God still requires obedience of you and me. Good news, though, the obedience of Jesus, when I put my faith in him, the obedience of Jesus, God credits that to me. He, oh, I've been disobedient. Anybody else with me this week? Anybody sin? Anybody? Don't raise your hand, you bunch of sinners. I don't want to know who I'm preaching to. Those, for those of us who have faith in Jesus, his obedience counts for me. His obedience counts for me. And then we get to learn to lift that out. So his obedience overcomes disobedience. And lastly, this is my favorite part. <laughs> Verse 20, now the law came 
The, uh, now the law came in to increase the trespass. So in other words, God gave us the law so that we would know uh, when we were falling off the road, when we were running off the rails, and indeed we figured out we run off the rails all the time. Don't miss this, verse 20. But where sin increased, what happened? Grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So sin increased, but grace abounded. Sin brought death, but grace brought eternal life. You know what that means? We who are sinners and sin, we who have messed up, we who have made bad choices, we who, where sin increased, grace, listen, abounded all the more. So church family, listen. There's no sin that you have ever committed that the grace of God cannot cover. So I'm going to back up here and I'm going to come forward with that one more time because that's an important word for us today. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more means this. There is no sin that you have ever committed that the grace of God cannot cover. None. There is no mess that you have ever made with your life that the grace of God cannot clean. There is no brokenness that you've experienced in your life that God cannot make whole. One of the great tragedies in pastoral ministry is to hear people who've made an absolute mess of their life. I mean, just a wreck of their life. And they think, at this point then, there is no way that God is going to step in. Isaiah 59 talks about this. He said, do you think the Lord is so far off that He can't hear when you call out? Do you think His arm is so short that somehow, some way, you're in the hole that you're in, God can't reach in and grab a hold of you and jerk you up out of there? Of course He can. There's no sin that His grace cannot cover. There is no mess that His grace cannot clean. And there is no brokenness in your life that um, His grace uh, cannot make whole. And there is no loss. There's no loss in your life that the grace of God cannot fill the hole. None. Where sin has increased, grace has increased. It is abounded all the more. I love that he used the word abounded there because it's not like, oh yeah, we'll, just, we'll, we'll get it taken care of. No, no, no. Abounding means it just washes it away. Just whoosh, gone. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Here in a moment, we're going to come to communion. And when we come to it, there's like the baptism, there's no magic here. It's just a moment to remember. It's a moment to remember that where my sin increased, the grace of God abounds all the more to me. So we'll give you a moment. If you need to set stuff aside, please feel free to do so. Kind of ready yourselves. And I'm going to ask the deacons to go ahead and come up. The guys are going to come up as well.